there are a lot of things that I hear Bible prophecy teachers say that aren't actually predicted anywhere in the Bible. There's things that just get repeated and repeated and repeated for years, but they don't actually have a scriptural basis. There's a lot of assumptions that get thrown into the mix when we talk about the timeline of the rapture. Now, I believe in the rapture, but I don't want to make assumptions. So we need to reanalyze the basis for everything we believe and always be ready to prove it when we're asked. So what are the common mistakes that people make when they're studying Bible prophecy? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a minister. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and I'm here to defend it today. And if you listen, hopefully by the end of today's episode, you will be better equipped to defend it as well. This is kind of a bonus episode of the Cross References podcast. I just got so many questions after last month's rapture episode, and I truly, I wanted to take my time to respond to all these inquiries I got or responses because I just really value all the time that so many of you took to respond. And so today is really just going to be a mailbag episode, and I'm just doing an extra one this week because as I said, um, I got so many, I don't want to drag this out for weeks or months on end. But I, I would just like to go ahead and respond to people as, as quickly as I could. So for some context, I did an episode uh, a while back that was called How Close Could the Rapture Be? And I took the stance that it might not be as close as many people think it is. Now, I do believe in a, tr a pre-tribulation rapture, but I'm kind of just looking at the rate of change that's taking place right now in the world. And I do think things are changing quickly. I do think our time is short. But as I keep saying, just because things are falling into place, like for an end time scenario, that doesn't necessarily mean that the end times are just about to begin. And here's an analogy I would use to explain this. Let's say that I'm preparing dinner and that I finish getting everything ready and I look up at the clock and it's 6.52 p.m. Okay, the table is set. The food is good and hot. So we are ready to eat. But just because I got that food ready at 6.52 p.m., does that mean everybody is going to start eating at 6.52 p.m.? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we start eating at 6.55. Maybe we start eating at 7. Maybe we start eating at 7.05 or 7.10. You know, any of those scenarios is possible because once the food is ready, the food is ready. So you can start eating it whenever you want to. And so in a similar way, we see all these things falling into place with the WEF, with a war going on in Russia, with this digital currency that seems on the near horizon, uh, even artificial intelligence, that seems to be something that could easily play a big part in the Antichrist kingdom. So we see all these things for the Antichrist rule falling into place. But just because things are falling into place, just because, as we say, the food is on the table, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to start eating it in the next five minutes. It might be 10 or 15 minutes. Okay, right? So what, you, what do you do? You just mind your business 
and come to the table when mama calls you because you're the kid. Mama says when dinner's ready to eat. I hope you're following this analogy so far today. All I'm saying is we got to be prepared. Okay, I'm just saying that we just got to be prepared at any time. But I just what I'm feeling in my gut is that there's still going to be some hard things that we might need to go through before the tribulation kicks off and the rapture and all that. I think more Christians are going to be tested and even persecuted. Um, But also, on a brighter note, I mean, I feel like the church might have its best days ahead. I I think it might shine like never before in history during those last moments before the rapture. I mean, I I do believe that as well. That's just kind of my feeling, my take, uh, based on what I would, how I foresee the end times falling into place or coming into being. So let's go through some of these mailbag responses that I received. I want to start off with a comment uh, that was actually left on YouTube. It was from somebody, uh, it's, it's a username here, Pre-Trib Truth. And I think Pre-Trib Truth has responded in the past, um, doesn't, doesn't care for the fact that I talk about the rapture, but, um, but that's okay. I'm glad they responded. Um, I want to say this, out of all, everything, everybody that I respond to on today's episode, they all actually represent people that I got lots of similar responses from. Okay, so I, you know, even if I don't respond to your personal comment, Hopefully I'm responding to someone who said almost the exact same thing. And I'm, so I'm trying to respond to both of you whenever I do that. Uh, but anyway, there's an account that was named Pre-Trib Truth. And so they started by comment- commenting with three Bible verses. And those are 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be, or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And then the comment continues after posting those verses, and I did want to read those for a reason, Um, but the comment continues, just read the words as they are written, and believe they mean exactly what they say. Quit wasting hope after hope for the next high watch period, etc., Read the simple words Paul wrote above, and you will understand why the rapture hasn't occurred yet. The first two verses describe the day, chapter 2, verse 1, the return of Jesus and our gathering together unto him, verse 2, the day of Christ, that the third verse, which referred to that day, is what it's referring to. Use the precious little time we have left to prayerfully prepare to go through the tribulation and stop the cycle of disappointment for the next uh, missed rapture rescue date. Okay, so anyway. Pre-trib truth is taking the position that the rapture and the second coming of Christ and the day of Christ, that all of these mean the same thing, that, that they're all going to happen at the same moment. Um, I look at them as having unique definitions, okay? And let me explain why I don't take the same tack that pre-trib truth does on those verses. Um, taking a verse that mentions two or three events— and just assuming that they're all going to happen at the same time, just because they're mentioned all together, that is actually, and I'm not kidding when I say this, that's a very dangerous way to study Bible prophecy. And I will prove this. <laughs> that's actually a very dangerous way to look at things. But let me just remind preacher of truth. This is what they said to me. Just read the words as they are written and believe they mean exactly what they say. So when they when preacher of truth says this to me, what you meant by that clearly is that I should just assume that because two events are mentioned in the same verse, that I should equate those events with each other 
and put them together on the same, like on a timeline right next to each other. However, the Bible teaches me to do just the opposite of that when I study prophecy. And I will demonstrate this. And let me say, this is the exact problem that the Jews made when they were looking for their Messiah. They would look at these messianic prophecies, and here's why so many of them misunderstood Jesus the first time around, and why so many Jewish people continue to reject him today. Okay, they look at verses like Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. This is what Jesus read to describe his mission. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, if you ever go to Luke 4 and you look at the place where Jesus quotes this, Jesus leaves off the last part of verse 2, the part where it says the day of vengeance of our God. Now, why is that? Well, there's a gap right here, okay? The first time Jesus came, he did all that other stuff. He proclaimed liberty to the captives. But the next time he comes, he's going to do the final part of verse 2, It'll be the day of vengeance of our God. Now, a Jewish person could come to you and they could say the exact same thing that you said to me. I'm talking to Pre-Trib Truth here, okay? Let me, let me quote the YouTube comment again. It says, just read the words exactly as they are written and believe they mean exactly what they say. Okay, so that's what you said to me. Well, if we read Isaiah 61 just as it's written, then it would be very logical to assume that all those things that the Messiah did would do would happen at the exact same time, okay? But I'm assuming we all believe Jesus was the Messiah, and that is not how things played out, okay? Those events were mentioned in the same verse, but they aren't all the same event. Jesus did some of these things at one time, and he'll do some of those things at another time. You see examples like this all through the, the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. Okay, so from that, we know that's talking about Jesus right there. He's the king. He came into Jerusalem on a donkey. Let me read verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Okay, so we see these famous verses here about Jesus entering Jer Jerusalem on a donkey. That's there in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. But then verse 10 talks about him ruling the world to the ends of the earth. So it might be logical to assume that when the Messiah entered Jerusalem on a, on a cult, that he was about to take control of the whole planet. Okay, that, that seems to be the idea that a lot of Jews had about when the Messiah was going to come. And so this is what the disciples expected from Jesus, and they get really confused when a week later he's dying on a cross and being buried in a tomb instead of taking control of the earth. <laughs> so imagine a Jew said to you what you said to me about Zechariah 9. Just read the words as they are written and believe they mean exactly what they say. Well, if I did that, I would have missed the Messiah because some of those things the verses said were for one time, and some of those things were for another time. And so, as I said, this is all through the Old Testament, Daniel's six, uh, 70 weeks prophecy. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with that. I think episode 50 of my, of my podcast here was about that. The 490-year plan that God has for Jerusalem. There were 483 years, and then now we're in a pause. 
and the final seven years of that 490 year plan have not yet began. Okay. So it, it, we talked about this in that episode. There's been 69 weeks. There's still one more week of years yet to go. It would be logical to assume that since the first 69 weeks happened consecutively, that the 70th week would be consecutive as well. But it wasn't. There was a gap. Okay. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll have to go listen to that episode. What I'm saying is there's gaps sometimes in what the Bible's talking about. Just because it mentions two different things doesn't mean they're the same thing just because they're in the same verse. They could be talking about two different things. We call this the telescoping of Bible prophecy. That idea comes from, um, I guess, the concept that if you're looking through a telescope at things that are very far off, you might see two things that look very near to each other through the telescope. But in reality, if you were to go out to those things, there might be a great distance between them. Okay, like two mountain peaks might look close together in a telescope, when in reality, they could be miles apart. So this is a problem that we run into in Bible prophecy. There's a lot of gaps between events, and we just don't realize it. We haven't lived through those events yet sometimes, so we don't know about the gaps, <laughs> you know, um, or we might have to go look at things from a different angle, like you might do with a telescope. <laughs> you know, if you look at the same, the same two mountain peaks from a different angle, the distance between them might become more clear. And we got to do that sometimes with the Bible, too. We can't always just look at one passage and think we have the full story of how everything is going to play out in the end times. You actually got to make a prism and look at things from all these different angles. So back to what pre-trib truth said. So you assume that since 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, since it mentions the return of Christ and our gathering together with him, since it mentions those things right next to each other, that it means they must be the same thing. And also you threw the day of Christ in there as the same thing. I would give all of these phrases different definitions. I think they all relate to each other, but I don't think that they're all equal. Like they're, they're, they don't all mean the same thing. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a very helpful chapter when it comes to putting together a sequence of events for when the rapture is going to take place. It's very methodical and specific in the order. It says there's going to be a falling away, and then there's going to be a man of sin revealed. And then we'll be in the day of Christ or the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord encompasses a long period of time. It includes the tribulation. I think it includes the millennium, at least the beginning of the millennium and the end of the tribulation. So anyway, anyway, that's a, a even though it's called the day of the Lord, I don't believe it's just one specific 24 hour day. It, it means it's a it's a it's a long span of time. Like we might say, you know, back in my day, talking about something that happened whenever we were kids or whenever we were young. And we call that our day. Well, the day of the Lord is not just one day, one 24-hour period. It's a long span of time. Anyway, I give all these things different definitions, the way that I look at prophecy. I think it's related to the second coming, and that I think Christ, I think he's going to return during the day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord is not the exact same thing as the second coming. So this is the error that I think pre-trib truth is getting into by equating all these things. Just because the second coming of Christ and our gathering together to him, just because they're mentioned in the same verse, I don't think that means they're the same event. And I think it's a dangerous error to assume that because that's, that's the same type of error that has led many Jewish people to reject Jesus as the Messiah. I'm not saying you've made that salvation error because this is just a prophecy thing, but I'm saying that interpreting the Bible this way, it can lead to dangerous errors such as salvation errors. So that's, that's kind of my take on all this. Now, let, let me just talk about the verses you raised real quick. 
2 Thessalonians 2 is an excellent chapter for understanding a sequence of events through the end times. I understand why you went there, but I actually don't think that chapter proves anything one way or the other based on your interpretation of it or based on my interpretation of it. I would say, you know, it says the day of the Lord is not going to happen till there's a falling away and then the Antichrist is revealed and then the end times tribulation stuff, all that's going to kick off. Well, I believe that based on my interpretation of this chapter. And I think that's also true based on your interpretation of this chapter. So if we're going to have a discussion about the rapture, I wouldn't point to Second Thessalonians chapter two. That's not a chapter that's going to get us anywhere. For both of us, how we interpret those things, Second Thessalonians two doesn't change how we see it. So anyway, that was a, that was a that was the big question I wanted to get out of the way. <laughs> that was the first one for us. Woo. Okay. <laughs> I spent enough time on that one. I'll go ahead and mention, if you look in the show notes, you can see all the questions that I'm dealing with today. And so if there's a particular topic that you want to hear about, just skip to that topic. That's what I would encourage you to do. All right. Um, I said in the How Close Could the Rapture Be episode that I feel like the church is going to do something big before God has us depart from this earth, something to make some kind of stand against Satan or to oppose evil in some significant way. As I said, I just, I kind of feel it in my gut. I also look at verses like 2 Thessalonians 2, where it says that the Holy Spirit is currently suppressing Satan, but the, in the tribulation that he's going to be able to have even more power on the earth. It says, uh, verses 6 through 8 of that chapter, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the, mistress, mis- <laughs> for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So it's saying we know that lawlessness is already at work, for sure. But if you think things are lawless now, just wait. It's going to get even more lawless. And then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. So my feeling is we are supposed to be the restraining force against Satan right now. And I just don't, I don't feel like that's very descriptive of what we're doing right now. Like Satan's been pushing on us hard the past few years. I just don't feel like we as a church have that we've put our heels down and said no more. Okay. And I've had a lot of people write in to tell me otherwise, and they were very respectful about it. So I'm not, I, I mean, I respect their opinion. You know, I don't, I might not quite agree, but, but I respect their opinion. I think they were very kind in how they, um, submitted their thoughts. So I, I want to share some of those comments with you and then I'll just let the listener make up their own mind. But for what it's worth, <laughs> for what it's worth, I hope that they are right and that I am wrong. Okay, I truly mean that. I hope they're right. I hope I'm the one looking at this through the wrong lens. But I want to share a few of their responses here. So Kathleen says, I see what you are saying, but I respectfully disagree that the church is going out with a whimper. Many people, myself included, were asleep at the will as a Christian until 2020 happened. And all of a sudden, God, God called us to warn people of the end times that we find ourselves in. And with an intense sense of urgency. It's almost like my mind was hijacked and warning people is all I can think about. Many, many other people have the same experience. Also, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that the body of Christ will go out as a bunch of warriors who won over millions of souls before we left. The world will be in a state of disbelief as as ramping up right now, even in the U.S. But it doesn't mean that all Christians will be persecuted like our poor brothers and sisters in India or the Middle East, etc. We are very close to the rapture perhaps this year or in the next couple of years. Do not be discouraged and keep watching for you do not know the hour in which the Lord will return. So 
that was Kathleen's message. Kathleen, I appreciate that. Honestly, I got uh, I wholeheartedly, you know, I just want to I'm not even going to argue with you. I just want to share some other people's opinions right here and and just let them have their say, because um, I appreciated all, all of y'all's thoughts. I got this email from Greg in Texas, and I want to read what he said below. He said, the story doesn't end with the rapture of the church. The church will return with Christ to establish the kingdom. We are his Caleb, the, gen- the Gentile faithful servant who was grafted into the tribe of Judah. The story you have is you kept the name of Christ and kept the command to persevere, even though you had little strength. As for the church, the last one was written to the apostate. What I think he's talking about here is um, the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And, and a lot of people talk about that church of Laodicea as kind of representing the church of the modern times or the times right before the rapture. Um, I'll continue. They were so busy with themselves that they did not realize the head of the church was outside, wanting to know if anyone would let him in. They are useless to the head of the church, neither hot nor cold. There are churches that hold to the teachings of the false prophetess Jezebel, teaching immorality and idolatry. We have churches that have the name of being alive but are dead. These are the churches of the last days, the last two days before the resurrection and establishing of the kingdom, the end of the church age, not the end of the church's story. The first century church would think they were losing due to the heavy persecution and the leaders being executed. Take heart, brother, and be encouraged. We have overcome the world by the faith in Jesus Christ. Who, uh, As 1 John 5, 5 says, who is it that overcomes the world? except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So let me stop there. There was more to the email. It was all very good. Like I said, I'm not going to disagree with Greg. I'm just sharing some other perspectives here. A lot of people that I talked to said they think the church is already showing itself to be very victorious right here in this last hour. Uh, There was a YouTuber named Grimlar who had a really nice message. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all, but he or she asked if there was any um, scriptural support for some kind of revival before the end times. And I'll admit, I don't have a clear verse that predicts that. Um, but I did think about it for a while. What I'm thinking about is, um, I won't read Glim- Grimlar's message, but I'll tell you, I'll tell Grimlar what I was responding to here. What I think about is scriptural patterns, okay? And I just mean that literally as what I said. Patterns that we see in the Bible and what, how I think they would replicate themselves today because a lot of stuff in the Bible seems to happen in patterns. And so this is what I said. I also struggled to think of a verse that implies a revival before the tribulation kicks off. Like you, I see signs that there will be many people saved during the tribulation, but also I do I do believe strongly in scriptural patterns. And it seems like just before God's judgment falls, he does have some kind of big moment, like a revival or a reformation, that's meant to wake people up before it's too late. And I think Jonathan Kahn actually has a book coming up on this subject soon. And I don't agree with everything Con writes, but I do agree with some of it. I think he's very good at identifying scriptural patterns. And so one example of this is Josiah's reforms in 2 Kings 23. Um, just a, as, a, as a big revival that gives people a chance to get saved or get right with God before it's too late. Um, third, as I said before, I just feel it in my gut that the church, if they were raptured today, I just have this feeling of like, that was it. You know, that wasn't, (laughs) that was what we had to go through. You know, when I say we go out with a bang, it might not necessarily mean a revival. It could be a period of persecution that shows the world who the true followers are. And if that remnant can endure the persecution and then be rescued out of the world, then that is a great testimony and witness for God 
to those who are left. And so I hope that's not depressing. I'm, I'm not trying to sound cavalier about it. Um, I think it would be very rough in the short term, but I also see it as something that would bring great glory to God in the long term. And so that's where I get, you know, uh, excited. I don't know if that's the right word. Thinking about, the, could there be great persecution before the end times? This might be our, the church's opportunity, though, to make a big stand for God before it's too late. And so it'd be a great testimony for God. Anyway, I just continue to be humbled and thankful for all the comments I got on the previous episodes. And so I'm going to take a short break right here. I'm going to grab a drink. And whenever I get back, I will go through a few more today. Okay, um, let's talk about the fig tree. I've had several comments about the fig tree prophecy that's in Matthew 24. And that's a chapter all, that's all about the events of the end times. I do not personally take the fig tree passage to be about the rapture. It's possible that it is, but it relies on a couple of assumptions. And so I'm I'm personally just not convinced that the fig tree thing is, is saying what a lot of people think it's saying. It's possible. I'm just here. Let me go through it a little bit. In Matthew 24, verses 32 through 34, Jesus says, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass, will not pass away. So I guess that I went through verse 35 there. One popular interpretation, and I, I hope it's right. I mean, I actually, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with it or put all my, my hope in it, but I certainly, I hope it's right, but I just don't think that it, I think it might not be right. So <laughs> one popular interpretation is that the fig tree is referring to Israel. And so when it says the fig tree's leaves are sprout, or that its branches are sprouting leaves, that it's referring to the rebirth of Israel. And so basically what it, the, the idea is that um, the generation that sees the rebirth of Israel is not going to pass away until the rapture and tribulation begin. And if you do the math, that would mean that the rapture needs to happen basically in the next five years um, because they, they, it's because of how they interpret a generation. Um, they say a generation is 70 to 80 years. So anyway, there's some good basis for identifying the fig tree as Israel. So I'm, I'm not saying that this theory is dumb or anything like that. Like I said, I hope it's true. I would love for it. Um, I'd love it if we could be out of here within five years. I think that would be great. But here's the assumptions that this interpretation is based on. That the fig tree, number one, specifically means Israel. And it's not just talking about a general, um, whenever we see the seasonal signs, okay? that That's one interpretation. That's one assumption. Two, that the leaves that are growing on the tree are referring to the nation being reborn. Okay, that's a huge assumption to me. Like, even if the fig tree is Israel, I'm not sure what the tender branches and the leaves, what that all means. It could mean being reborn as a nation. It could mean something else. Three, it assumes that a generation means 80 years. And they base that on Psalm chapter 90, where it says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. And so my issue with that assumption 
is that Psalm 90 is not even talking about a generation. What it's talking about there is like the average lifespan. It says mankind lives for 70 or 80 years. That's just kind of a general rule. That's like a, just kind of a fact. Like most people t- generally die in their 70s. Some of them make it to their 80s. And then we put them in the White House or something as in the Senate, right? <laughs> that seems to be how it goes. Most generally, people live to be 70 or 80 years. That's that's just a typical lifespan. But that's not what the Bible says is the length of a generation. Okay, so anyway, some people are looking at when the rebirth of Israel happened, and they're just counting up 80 years after 1948. That would be 2028. And so they say that it means the rapture must happen by 2028. Again, I hope that that's true, but that's based on a lot of assumptions. It's not something we know for a fact. Um, if you got, if you remember, they used to say that a generation was 40 years, and so Jesus must return by 1988. <laughs> that was a major theory before, and that turned out to be wrong. So they looked for a basis in the Bible to stretch it another to stretch a generation into 70 or 80 years, and then they said, I, I remember hearing it a few years back. Jesus has got to return by the time of Israel's 70th birthday in 2018. I remember saying people saying that back then. I wished it had been true. I wish we had gotten to go back then, but it wasn't true. That wasn't God's timing. So a lot of assumptions at play here. One last assumption about the 2028 date is that it's talking about the rapture. But if you actually look closely at what Matthew 24 is talking about when it talks about the fig tree, Jesus said, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What are all the things? Well, in context, it seems to be talking about the second coming, not the rapture. So the second coming has to happen by 2028, according to this interpretation. And if so, I have some bad news. That means the rapture has already happened (laughs) because we don't have seven years until 2028. We've only got five years at at the time I'm recording this. So all those reasons right there. That's why I don't personally think that the fig tree prophecy is about the rapture or the rebirth of Israel. There's just too many assumptions at play in that idea. If you've got a question on this chapter, you can leave a comment or shoot an email to crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects you want to hear about in the future. Next time on this podcast, I will finally return to Ezekiel chapter 24, This is a great chapter to jump into on our Ezekiel study if you haven't already been in that study with us, um, because this is a big turning point for the book. It's the exact halfway point of the book, and it's also a big shift in focus for that book. So even if you haven't heard anything about Ezekiel up to this point, you're not going to be lost if you jump in right now. Um, So anyway, I want to end with this thought, and I totally respect everyone who responded, especially those of you who disagreed. Because I felt like everyone, even the people disagreeing, they almost always did it in very kind Christian ways. <laughs> so, you know, we might have disagreed. They might have disagreed in a humble way, but they weren't like talking down to me. They're just sharing their perspective. And so I hope I haven't sounded like I'm talking down to anyone either. Um, I'm probably not going to come across that way in, in just a minute, but I have been trying to so far. I want to point out something that I just found a little troubling in some of the responses I received is there was a lot of assumptions that were made about numbers. And so let me read a response that I received. And um, I'm going to keep this one anonymous because I want to dig into this one a little bit and I want to explain why I disagree. And so if I sound a little bit combative, I'm not trying to attack anybody. I'm just going to, like I said, I'll leave it anonymous. But one response that I got said this as I started off. It says, 
when we look at a few points, Psalms 90 shows 2028 at the latest for the rapture. So I already went into this. There is no latest date for the rapture. You know, we can't put a time limit on when God needs to come back. If 2028 comes and then 2028 goes and we're still here, they'll just tack on another 40 years. They're going to say Jesus needs to come back by 2068 because then that would be 120 years after 1948. And Jesus said that he would return within a generation. And Genesis 6 says that a man will live 120 years. And so on and on we go. You know, you could keep coming up with more and more dates to set as like some kind of deadline for the rapture if you wanted to do that. And I'm just telling you guys, there is no time limit on Jesus needing to come back by a certain point. Okay. Again, dinner is just about ready, but we don't know when we're going to eat. We might not eat for a long time. I hope we eat soon because I'm hungry, but that's not a guarantee that we have. Okay. Continuing on here with the comment or the email that I received. When one looks at the next solar eclipse over the U.S., it puts an X on the U.S. and an X on Mexico and puts an A on both. Um, okay, so I don't, I don't know about the A, but I did talk about the X actually in a recent episode. I do find it really interesting that the solar eclipses that are in 2017 and 2024, that they make an X over the U.S. and that they are exactly seven years apart. I, I did talk about that on a recent episode. I think it was called... 15 reasons that God destroys a nation. So yes, I do find it really interesting. It probably doesn't bode well for the United States, but that doesn't have anything to do with the rapture. God could destroy the U.S. The rapture might still not happen for another hundred years, okay? The United States has absolutely nothing to do with the timing of the rapture or necessarily anything with the end times, okay? I hope it's not a hundred years from now, (laughs) but I believe it'll probably be a lot sooner. But my belief in the closeness of the rapture, that has nothing to do with the United States because the United States has nothing to do with Bible prophecy, not any more than Ecuador or Guatemala or Canada. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but we're just not in there. Okay. Bible prophecy is about Israel and it's about the nations surrounding Israel. It's about the other side of the world. If you want to know where we're at on God's calendar, as far as his prophetic calendar, go look at what the Bible says about the nations that are actually mentioned in prophecy. America is not one of them. So, I mean, yes, it's interesting about the X over the United States, but I don't think it has anything to do with end times theology. Okay, continuing on with this message. When we look at the lineage from Adam to present, we see the age of the earth is around 5,992 years old. Day six is when Jesus will return for the 1,000-year reign, and day seven is when the earth will be destroyed, and God rested for no more sin or evil. So again, some more numbers here, and there could be something to this, okay, that yes, we are about 6,000 years from Adam. I could see the next 1,000 years being the millennial reign of Christ. That makes sense with like seven days of creation. I get that. But again, that none of that is, we, that's an that's a assumption that we have. It's a pattern. It's an interesting pattern. But this is not a guarantee that Jesus is about to return. Okay? And let me tell you something. If it was really that simple, then why did Jesus say that he has no idea about the day or hour that he's going to return? Are we are we just so much smarter than Jesus that we could figure this out whenever he couldn't? Okay? Is that is that really what we're saying? So we got to be careful when we just assume, oh, well, the earth's about 6,000 years old. So then, the, you know, then there'll be the 1,000 years and that'll be the reign of Christ. And that's the seventh day that represents the Sabbath. 
if it was that simple, why did Jesus not figure it out? That that would just be my rebuttal to that, okay? So my closing thought today is that we need to stop building so many prophecy doctrines on assumptions. Um, I, I think we need to be a little bit clearer about what the Bible actually says and what we're just assuming that it says, okay? it's I'm, I mean, I don't mind theories. I don't mind theorizing. I do that on this podcast sometimes, but I try to be clear. This is just something that I find interesting as an idea. It's not something I'm saying is a proven fact because we can't put our faith in our assumptions. Our assumptions are going to be wrong sometimes. And when those come crashing down, that can hurt people's faith. So what you need to do when you go to study Bible prophecy, what you need to do is go back and take a second look at what you think that you know. You need to be ready and willing to go back and prove everything that you think you know. How many times have you heard it before that the Antichrist is going to come in with a seven-year peace treaty with Israel? I have heard that a million times in my life. Did you know there is no verse that says there's a peace treaty with Israel? It says he creates a seven-year covenant with many. So it might be peace, it might not. It might include Israel, it might not. It says a covenant with many. And then there was some Bible prophecy teacher somewhere, and he assumed that it means a peace treaty with Israel. And so that's what they people started repeating, and that's what they all say nowadays. And it could be right, it could be a peace treaty, but it might not. So we shouldn't just assume things and then just believe the assumptions as if they are facts, okay? Because that is dangerous. And that causes us to miss the real signs for when they're actually happening. Okay, and if you don't realize how dangerous this is, whenever we make assumptions about Bible prophecy, let me use another example here of why the Jews rejected Jesus. In John chapter 7, it says in verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. So it says there that the Jews argued about Jesus, and some even rejected him because they said that the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem, but Jesus was from Galilee. So they couldn't believe that he was the Messiah. And then these Bethlehem truthers, they would have said that they're just standing on the Bible to make their point that Jesus cannot be the Messiah because he didn't grow up in Bethlehem. Well, if you've ever heard a Christmas song, you know that Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Micah actually does say that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. That's exactly what Jesus did. He was born in Bethlehem. But then the Jews assumed that it meant Jesus would be raised there and that when the Messiah came, he'd be like walking out of Bethlehem or something, or they'd find him in Bethlehem. You know, they were assuming more than what the Bible said. All it really said was that he would come from Bethlehem. Well, he did. But then he went to but then he went to Egypt and then he went to Galilee. And so this confused a lot of people and it caused them to reject Jesus as the Messiah because they made bad assumptions about Bible prophecy. So just think about that for a minute. There are Jews who rejected Jesus and went to hell because they made assumptions about Bible prophecy that weren't really there. We need to be careful. When we're studying prophecy, prove what you think you know. 
And if you are confident in what you believe, you shouldn't be afraid to do that. Don't assume anything. Go back, re-examine what you believe, because once we start standing on our assumptions, instead of standing on the clear truth of the Bible, we can miss what God's really trying to show us. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor, and I am always ready to eat dinner.